Hey everybody, CJ here. Welcome to episode 202 of the Dangerous History Podcast. In this episode, I've got something a little bit different for you in store. I've got a conversation with three guys, Ole, Alex, and John, who are all involved in different ways in a video game project called Story Games, which is an app-based platform that basically allows you to play games that are the equivalent of graphic novel choose-your-own-adventure stories. And all of the writers involved with the stories are basically some version of anarchist, voluntarist, what have you. And so these are not just interesting stories written by very creative people, but they're also stories that raise a lot of dangerous questions and deal with a lot of subversive themes. Now, Ole's a very interesting guy, originally from Norway, currently lives in Bali. And I've known him for about four years now. He's been a long-time supporting listener of the show, and I've met him in person several times and hung out with him at the Midwest Peace and Liberty Fest over the years. Alex, I've never met in person. He's originally from Poland and currently also lives in Indonesia. And then John is in the States, and I actually did meet him as well at the last Midwest Peace and Liberty Fest just last year. So all very cool, very interesting, very creative guys working on a very interesting project with a lot of potential. We also were intending to be joined by Davi Barker, who is a writer and podcaster and former Freedom Fiends co-host. Unfortunately, he wasn't able to make it, so we missed having him on, but I think the conversation ended up being pretty interesting anyway. We do have a few audio and internet hiccups along the way when you've got a conversation between two people in different parts of the U.S. and two people in Indonesia. Of course, you know, things, you're kind of rolling the dice as far as that goes, but Nonetheless, I think it's a very interesting project that they're working on with a lot of potential. The game is currently in kind of beta form, and they're looking to develop it further, but you can go and try out this initial beta version. But anyway, enough yammering from me. I hope you enjoy my recent conversation with Ole, Alex, and John. Ole, Alex, John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us. Thank you. (laughs) Okay, so I've got you all on to talk about a project that all three of you are uh, deeply involved in, and that is the Story Games app. And it's a really neat idea. It's really got some, some cool stuff going on. And... The first thing I want to do is just to ask each of you to briefly introduce yourself a little bit, give just kind of the the Cliff Notes version of a little bit of your your relevant background and who you are, and then how you came to be involved with with this particular project. So, Ole, I'll start with you. What's your relevant background and how did you get involved with this? All right. Yeah, thank you very much for inviting us on the show, by the way. And as you know, I'm a big fan of Dangerous History Podcast since about four years. Uh, so anyway, I have about, yeah, it must be 25 years since I started my first company now. And I've basically 
just instead of taking college education, I started a company when I was 22, and that one ended up becoming pretty successful. And I actually ended up selling it off to Alex's, um, yeah, Alex and family and business partners. And Alex is one of the people on the call here as well. And, and they're still running it now. Uh, so that's something I built up within a few years and managed to sell products to 28 different countries. Then I started a separate company. I went into the gaming industry for the first time from 2001 onwards, worked on different types of products there, especially different types of dance games for more or less, um, yeah, I guess, 15 years. And was bringing, like, we made our own game software and hardware and did a, did a lot of things with it. And I ended up selling that business after having struggled partially because of a pat, uh, patent and partially because of government grants being taken away. And I decided to kind of go into something where we could focus on actual getting to consumers directly. And after having played a, son, uh, sorry, a game with my son, who struggles with autism for several years, which is like a story-driven game called Criminal Case, and I decided to see if I could come up with a cool game that maybe would have more meaningful content, which would be story-driven and which would give more options for the player for what to do, etc. Uh, so, so that's basically where the idea for story games came from, which is then, yeah, shortly before we met the first time, because I, I met CJ a bit less than four years ago at the Michigan Peace and Liberty Festival, where I then talked about the idea, the basic idea, without knowing that it was going to be story games yet. And then on the way to the airport, I think it was, because we, we joined together in a car to the airport, then CJ was suggesting to me that Davi could be a good writer. And although Davi may not be able to participate on this call, then he's, he is a very important writer for this project. So it's very cool that you, CJ, were, you were the one who came up with it. And anyway, so my role on the project in general is that I'm the managing director of the UK publishing company called Immortal Games. And we own an Indonesian daughter company, which is basically doing the game production. That's called Positive Gaming Bali. and. So I've, I have come up with the, most of the basic ideas. I've invited investors and all the team members and the writers and somehow managed to raise the money and get this, <laughs> this game to a better stage. And uh, now that is out and we're trying our luck and learning a lot along the way. So anyway, that's a basic background about me. Cool. Well, Alex, how about you? What's your story? Well, my story uh, actually begins, uh, at least uh, my story with Ola begins in Norway. Uh, actually, it was my first kind of real job. Well, I did do a little bit of newspapers in Norway. Um, so my, my yes, I started working my, at my first job for Ola. So that's where at least our connection is from. But uh, I'm a, not from uh, Norway. I'm from Poland originally. And, uh, yeah, before living, I moved to Norway actually because after living in India as a young man, I was sent there shortly after, uh, the kind of, you know, communism collapsed and, uh, Berlin war and all of that. Uh, my parents were interested in kind of Indian yoga culture. So I was sent there 
I spent there four years and, and through that connection met my future wife, now my ex-wife actually, but, but uh, yes, I lived in Norway with uh, my wife for 23 years. So I've been mostly there, but at some point in between, I have, uh, as Ola indicated here, purchased, uh, uh, my father did uh, already pass away. So I was kind of the instrumental person because I knew Ola, I worked for him before. So I purchased a brand actually, which is still there. And we're still selling its natural products or natural medicines. And we have actually developed it even further. And yeah, and it's a still, still successful business. So, you know, I'd say my business dealings with Ola go way, way back. And uh, other than that, at 2009, uh, in 2009, I got some money for a startup, some, it was some inheritance, partly inheritance, partly grants. And I tried my luck in game development. Uh, that was actually a browser-based game, a Star Wars game. But just my bad luck at that time also, uh, just less, uh, as in all this case, uh, it was um, related to, you know, rights. Lucas wouldn't sell us rights because they just sold themselves to Disney. And of course, with Disney, probably would have been easier today. But uh, anyway, at that point, I ran out of money. And I told myself that if there is any chance ever again, I would definitely like to try my luck in gaming. And then, yes, I spoke to Ole when he started developing the game. We have been sort of talking very rarely those days because he had moved to Indonesia. So I was originally planning to visit him and consider, was considering to invest some money because I made money on Bitcoin. It was very successful, actually. Uh, I was very lucky when Bitcoin, I remember, hit basically $20,000 per single Bitcoin. I just had not many of them, but I mined them. And then I just sold immediately. I wasn't waiting and I was lucky that I could get that money invested into something like this. Uh, and then in between there, I got divorced. Or, and um, so I actually, when I came to Bali, I kind of remembered that all my life I've been wanting to live in a warm climate and I actually love living in Asia. And and he suggested I maybe want to write a story. And I've uh, always been a fan of science fiction. And I thought, why not? This is uh, something that I have been thinking about already for many years and, you know, sort of planning in the back of my head. And this is an opportunity to to try so first i was just planning to be in bali you know a couple of months and then live still in europe but then <laughs> what i saw uh, got more into the project and 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 from just the writer right now actually i'm kind of like production manager i would say i uh, manage the graphical work means that we have graphical team and you might say whatever writers produce I am responsible for bringing it into the digital form with the help of, of course, prof like pro programmers and graphic designers. And I sort of manage that process. Uh, and, and well, I'm also doing a little bit of marketing. So wearing many hats, but this is how it is with startup, startups often. So I've been kind of pulled into this. And now I'm actually learning about making podcasts because we are recording also a little bit our, ourselves. So I had to learn about sound editing and equipment and everything. So yeah. Uh, it was it was a fantastic period the, the last uh, eight months since I joined the team. Ah, cool. Yeah, it's always uh, it's always interesting when you've got to learn a bunch of new skills and things on the fly. I definitely have dealt with that just as a podcaster, you know. But um, anyway, John, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and how you got involved in this this project. Uh, recent, I guess, about a little over a year ago, maybe two years now. Olay reached out to me because I was releasing a book 
about how I built my platform originally. And he wanted to incorporate it into this app that he was building. And of course, it, you know, it sounded like a great idea to me. But anyway, the, the, the book was about kind of my path through the rave scene, which is where I built my platform originally, and then into activism, which is kind of where the story ends. But yeah, so around 2008 or so is when I started building that platform, just hosting underground rave parties from D.C. to Philadelphia, probably most often, most often in Baltimore, though, even though it kind of started in Philly with a place called God's Basement that was like, I guess, invaded by the news. That wasn't my place. It was like I worked under somebody and kind of learned the tricks of the trade and whatnot right in the end period of that place. And you could actually see the NBC undercover investigation footage if you look on YouTube and just search God's Basement. It's pretty interesting. But that's actually into the story, too. And then we were working at a place in Baltimore that eventually got busted as well. And so I had this like long series of altercations with the police, I guess you could say. And that is really what pushed me more and more into activism. And that was around like 2009, 2010. And around that time, the the internet situation wasn't developed like it is now as far as activism and alternative media is concerned. So I just, I wrote a book. And then by the time I finished the book, I was trying to promote it. And there were some blogs that were running at the time, like conspiracy blogs and stuff like that. And I started writing for them just to promote my book. And then that turned into this, um, which been like a decade now, 10 years or so in alternative media. And that's really what I've been doing recently. Um, if you read sites like The Mind Unleashed or Free Thought Project, uh, Truth Theory, any of them, uh, I write for them every day. So that's kind of what I'm up to most of the time. But now I'm I'm definitely shifting my focus into fiction be with my book writing and stuff because... I had a lot of fun with just the characters and building the story in my previous book, even though it was kind of a memoir and it was a true story. I had a lot more fun with that than the pontificating philosophy kind of stuff that I was doing in the past with my books. (laughs) Yeah, fiction definitely has a way of potentially end running around people's defenses, you know, against certain dangerous thoughts and, you know, unorthodox thinking and whatever. Sometimes fiction can just sort of short circuit all those normal defense mechanisms and all that. Aside from, you know, it's it's a obviously a wonderful form of artistic expression just intrinsically. So I I definitely get the appeal. I've I haven't been doing much lately, but but I used to um I used to write short stories a lot. And then what happened was once I started doing the podcast, then it ended up eating so much of my time and energy that I definitely fell off the wagon as far as writing fiction. It's one of those things I keep telling myself I'm going to get back to. But um, yeah. this is, this is a, you know, an interesting thing, this, this medium that you all are now collaborating on. Uh, it's one that I think people who are gamers, who are big into video games, understand. But to people who aren't, they probably just don't have a sense that 
any video game that's more complicated than, say, like Pong or something is at least to some degree telling a story, right? And that's a, a big aspect of it. So I wanted to give you all uh, each a, a chance to, to weigh in um, just kind of in broad strokes in, in turn that what would you say as far as what this game project is all about in terms of the big picture and why it might be interesting to people who listen to this podcast and, and think the sort of thoughts that, that we think. And, you know, obviously it's a, it's a, a business venture. So you want it to be profitable, of course, but beyond just that, you know, what, what else are you, you hoping to accomplish? So, um, I guess Ole, if you want to take a stab at addressing some of that first. Sure. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm, I'm a person who I'm driven basically by doing something that creates meaning for me. But uh, what creates meaning for me is partially to try to create meaning and value for others. Like that is one of the things that really drives me in life and satisfies me. So that's what I've, that's what my three biggest projects so far in my life have in common. And with story games, the main point actually has been to try to create something that's thought, thought-provoking and which basically could stimulate people to do their own research more and think more for themselves, um, which nowadays it just seems to be a highly unusual idea, although it seems very logical to me. <laughs> and just to say that, I, and this is not just some flattery of you, CJ, but I, like I said in the beginning that I'm a long-term fan of the show and I have taken a lot of inspiration from listening to your, your episodes and also to kind of who you are and what your motivation for doing what you're doing. It's, it's not that different from mine, although we may try to do it in, in different ways. But so I've, I've taken inspiration from many things I learned on your podcast, actually. And some of the things that I've put into the game, I just want to mention a couple of details here. But uh, so that's, for example, you published in 2015 this episode called It's uh, 2015. So where's my hoverboard? So anyway, that kind of could uh, be a natural segue into explaining that CJ, you are actually a character in Immortalized, which is the story that I'm writing for story games. Okay, so story games is a choose-your-own-adventure novel type of game. So it's more like a digital novel than it's some computer game where you're supposed to kill as many zombies as you can, as quickly as you can, or something like that. So this is not something that's like super exciting from the point of view of game features. We're planning to add more game features to it, but primarily what you will get is a digital novel where you as a player can make certain choices which will lead you down different paths. And it's important to understand this because if one doesn't uh, know this when one downloads it, it's easy to just like, uh, okay, but this is a little bit like reading a book with some cool images and maybe sound and visual effects, but it's not really, it doesn't even take a lot of skill, you know. So I just, just want to mention that. So this a game that's meant to be very thought-provoking and in many ways it's quite radical um, but at the same time it's not something that is extremely intense or it's not you're not out 
there to just kill a bunch of people or solve some complicated puzzles. So, okay. And anyway, so I wanted to then introduce stories that could include points and elements in it in a, so that in addition to being entertaining would lead the player to have to choose in between different so sometimes you can you know oh i want to just see the, the fun the silly option or i want to go the researcher option or the historian option that so that's that's you know one side of the game but in addition i wanted to Deliberately, I chose stories written by people who I know that are free-thinking, open-minded individuals that are good entertainers and storytellers, and at the same time will bring in points that people maybe haven't thought about before from many different angles. So I think that's that's where I'm coming from in general, and um, I can go. I can explain more about my story maybe later on, but I guess that's the basic answer to your question. Yeah, that'll be the next thing um, that I'll be asking you all about, which is, you know, the particular stories that each of you are, are involved in writing. But before we move on to that, Alex or John, anything to add on that sort of topic about kind of the big picture on the game itself and what you think it, it can accomplish, what you, what you hope uh, to accomplish through this medium, that sort of thing? Well, I mean, there is a huge amount of this uh, long podcasts now that are very popular, different kind of podcasters. And, and, and I, in a way, I think all of the podcasters, all of those different people, depending on the genre that they're talking about, whether it's history or just like Joe Rogan, you know, kind of a loose discussion, can, you can see that people are incredibly hungry for stories because in a way, in effect, a lot of the times these are stories that the, the, those podcasters and their guests are talking about, their personal stories. But stories and the power of stories, it's, you know, it's something I, you know, first realized when I was a child, uh, you know, watching Star Wars, you know, very simple archetypal. Later on, I understood that this has a lot to do with uh, like Joseph Scumble mythologies, you know, like how he dissects that subject a little bit. And then, uh, you know, uh, there's power in it. Uh, you know, I, I'm definitely George Lucas was inspired by that. I had a little bit of my own research with uh, Jung and the archetypes. And I like the archetypal journeys and how they speak to us sort of in images and pictures. And, and um, yeah, so basically, uh, you know, there's a lot of problems in this world that we are currently trying to solve. And I think that sometimes the direct approach, I think you already mentioned it uh, just before, how much power there is in, 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 in storytelling because it's in sort of indirect way, you know, in fiction, as you mentioned fiction, you know, how that can kind of bypass some of our bias, you know, that we have. And, and so I, when I did, when I was, uh, you know, I, I'm a gamer, a computer gamer, but I always enjoyed stories that have choices that some of those choices were quite crude, you know, like Bioware did this thing with, you know, light side and dark side and like this. And so I loved this role-playing stories, you know, and there are many games that kind of inspired me. And I realized that it is a fantastic tool to use and to kind of make people think more maybe about certain subjects while entertaining them at the same time. So, I mean, the best, the best way I can put it, I mean, I think, we are just beginning here with our project, but recently there was a letter that we received from a fan. I don't know if she ever <laughs> wrote back to you, John, but, but what she wrote was just quite amazing, actually. And 
she basically, I was just quote her directly. You know, she, she writes something like this. When I came across the Immortal podcast for the story games, I was immediately captivated by the uh, context of the teams. However, I was even more intrigued how it appears to be strategically aligned with helping the viewer uh, with social uh, psychology and in some way condition, almost like subliminally or ana- analytically, uh, impact the player's critical thinking skills. And I really like that. I mean, she, she actually was very excited. It was a long letter. But for me, that kind of proves the concept, how powerful storytelling can be when, you know, when used in especially in such a format that we have chosen this uh, kind of choose your own adventure uh, novel. John, anything to add? Yeah, that was uh, laid out quite well. But I'll add that with stories kind of as we were talking about, it, when I was saying earlier, they allow you to stories allow you to capture things that you can't when you're just telling people and it allows you to illustrate things and reach people in a certain way that you can't do when you're just spelling something out to somebody. Uh, in the case of my story, it is going through the life of somebody who is throwing raves and who's involved in the black market and and things that might be illegal, but it presents it in an entirely different way. There's kind of like a model for most mainstream movies. And I'm I'm not saying that that is uh, conspiratorial or anything. It's just that there is a certain viewpoint that's kind of acceptable in the mainstream. And there is also common knowledge when it comes to storytelling like they tell people to put characters in constant conflict and 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 things like this that kind of reinforce a certain model for for stories and i think a lot of what we're trying to do is break that mold a bit and show things a little bit differently so my character in my story is a very socially awkward and scared low-level drug dealer who's also broke. And this, like, flies in the face of every stereotype of that type of character that you would see portrayed in a mainstream movie or uh, story or anything like that. So I, I think that all of us kind of buck the trends in one way or another, and it's usually to prove an important point about how we see reality and how it is a little bit different from what is presented out there. I think when you speak to people, you find that strange views like the the ones that I alluded to aren't really that uncommon. It's just that they're not talked about in public a whole lot. Yeah, I think that's that's a very good point. It is interesting when you look at most stories in any kind of mainstream media, right, that they're they're generally very conservative in the broad sense of the word conservative, right? Not in the, you know, Rush Limbaugh sense or something like that, but conservative just in the sense of like, most of the time, regardless of what specific, you know, partisan ideology there might be behind it, there's this broad sense of, oh, I don't, I'm not even sure exactly how to put it, but I, I guess just defending established institutions and patterns. Orthodoxy, of, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and established institutions and all that to where, you know, at most you'll get the, there's a few bad apples narrative. That's, that's as bad as it'll ever get, right? Like, yeah, there, look, here's a cop uh, movie where a couple of the cops are bad, but ultimately most of them are good. And in the end, the good guys went out or, you know, uh, a movie, 
about the CIA where there's a couple of rogue agents, but ultimately the CIA itself is generally on the right side of things and ultimately uh, uh, good, good wins out, that sort of thing. It's interesting. We, we arrive at this, at this discussion, which we actually recently had. John actually started this discussion because he asked a question. We didn't actually, we had other plans or we, we weren't sure what we're going to talk about on that podcast, but John just said, let's talk about, you know, in like storytelling, you know, good storytelling versus bad storytelling and advice for a writer. You know, many, there's a lot of advice out there, which isn't that good, actually. And he kind of started the subject and we ended up actually talking about this very thing, about the industry, entertainment industry and how, uh, and John said it so well, so I'll try to remember what, how he said it. But basically he said, it's, um, it's a challenge because it's much uh, more difficult to to succeed with something that's kind of not non-mainstream than to fail at something that uh, is mainstream, you know, because you're sort of in a more safe, you know, so that's why many companies, many TV series and book writers, they stick to the mainstream because even if you fail there, it's easier actually uh, failing even at that such a, main, as a mainstream endeavor. <laughs> I hope I did justice to you. Yeah, you you did. Uh, Now, I picked that up in a a book I was reading recently, and you actually might be familiar with this whole concept, uh, CJ, is that it's it's easier to fail doing the common thing than it is to succeed doing the hard thing. And the example that they used in this book was like a sports reference. And even though I don't like sports, I understood this one, so I'm sure that the average person would be able to. And that is... In football, it's common for them to punt on the fourth down, but they have found statistically through studying and things like that, that it is actually a better idea to go for it. And that an overwhelming majority of people who have went for it in that case have made it and it's been the best decision but it's still like a more dangerous decision and none of the coaches want to be the guy who risks it and and does that and that kind of can be superimposed into many different areas of life especially when we're creating art and things like that that is going to be a risky maneuver or a safe bet Two places where I see the most of that just stagnation of just kind of redoing the same things over and over and over again, at least for the last 30 or 40 years, uh, are, are in mainstream film and in mainstream music, where it seems like, at least for the last 30 or 40 years, mainstream music and mainstream feature films are just so stagnant. Whereas if you go outside the mainstream, if you go look at, you know, smaller uh, film productions, the non-mainstream stuff, the indie stuff, and the same thing with music, you step outside the mainstream, you know, what would be on FM radio if anyone still listens to that, that there's a lot of great stuff going on. And there always has been that there's there's lots of great new movies and great new music, but you have to step outside the reservation to find anything that's got innovation taking place. Yeah, and I wanted to, because I think this is several of these things actually relate to something that I forgot to bring up in my input here. And that is that in the podcast world, you actually have people who are big, who are kind of very thought provoking and are going outside the mainstream, and which is very inspiring. I think it's 
incredibly cool. Also, just your show, CJ, it's uh, it's just something where you, as a history professor who normally speaks to a limited amount of people in the classroom, can reach you know potentially tens of thousands of people on topics where you couldn't even teach all of it in your own classroom, or at least probably would tone it down a little bit. But anyway, but you even have it up to a level like someone like Joe Rogan, where you could have up to you know, 50, 60 million downloads of his podcast of a single episode. And I'm, of course, not saying that I would agree with everything that's going on on that show, but it is not mainstream. Like he is, uh, although, okay, anyway, enough about that. But, but just the podcast world has a lot of independent thinkers uh, that have their own stage to talk from. But for example, in the gaming world, uh, especially in the story-driven area of it, there like there are, there are some very popular games that are kind of in the same genre like ours, like the digital choose-your-own-adventure novel type of games. Uh, but yeah, but they're mostly soap or let's say lighter sci-fi or paranormal investigations or things like that. Uh, it's it's kind of mainstream version of of the story-driven choose-your-own-adventure novel games. And yeah, like I said, very successful. But that's where we feel like we are carving a new space, which, of course, we are the new guys. So we're completely, yeah, we're not seen very easily. But that's one of the reasons why we wanted to do this, because this is a huge market where people, like millions and millions of people around the world, could potentially download this if we can reach them because in the podcast world millions of people are reached but in the this game app market not many are when it comes to kind of free thinking and just indie type of very thought-provoking stuff it's it's not much of it so that i just wanted to mention it as a last point for why did we want to make this and why do we think it's an important thing to that could have an impact I, I would add that, yeah, I think that over the years, I've just started looking for more ways to reach people in a way that, that offsets their the, the barriers that they put up. Because especially in the past couple of years, things have gotten so intense where people are just shut off from anybody really trying to change their mind or influence their opinion when it comes to anything that could be considered remotely political. So this, uh, I think, is a, a much better way of doing it. Not to take anything away from the other work that me and other people do on that other end, because it's still valuable. But I think that if you hit them with this stuff too, and then it, it speaks to them in a certain like more emotional way that stories can, then they'll their brain will be like, oh, that was that thing that that one person was talking about. You know, and then that it, it creates kind of a connection. Because I remember when I was first kind of starting to find really crazy information on the internet when I was younger, uh, just about that questioned my worldview about the government and history and things like that. I ended up just kind of taking it all in over a period of time, but then I would be later driving to work and I'd be listening to Bob Marley or somebody like that, that I would always listen to back when I was a kid, but I didn't understand those lyrics or in a way 
that was that profound until I started doing that research on my own or hearing it from elsewhere. So I think that those two kind of uh, things can combine in a really cool way. Yeah, the classic historical example that comes to my mind of the sort of thing you're talking about is the novel Uncle Tom's Cabin, right? Where, you know, you could make abstract natural rights arguments against slavery. And you could, I suppose, potentially, if you were around in the antebellum uh, U.S., you, you could maybe dig up some facts and figures and data and be like, look, this many slaves get whipped and this, uh, here, here's how many of them, uh, get, you know, killed when there's an uprising. And like, you know, you could, whatever the data would be, you could cite it. And you still would get a lot of people who'd be like, yeah, well, you know, particularly amongst, amongst Northerners before the Civil War, a lot of them simply just had a not in my backyard attitude where they're like, yeah, I don't want slavery in my state, but, you know, whatever, if someone else has it someplace else. But then you have this, fictional story about a particular handful of individuals and suddenly people who would have just their eyes would have glazed over and they would have just kind of shrugged and said what are you going to do if you if you were making abstract arguments and citing uh, facts and figures suddenly you put together a compelling story and if they read it then they come away going holy crap i suddenly realized like slavery is really bad you know um, so it, it, there's, there's definitely value there. The, the tricky part is always, though, I think, how do you have a, have a profound point that you're making in terms of, of a story, a larger profound, uh, point about whatever it is, uh, philosophy, society, history, human nature, politics, whatever it might be. And there's always that delicate balance of making the point but not doing it in a way that is clunky and uh, didactic, like, for example, a lot, of, a lot of Ayn Rand's fiction. Yeah, that's that's absolutely at the top of my list of like just just bad fiction, really. So anyway, that that's always that's always the the tricky part. It seems to me, and it's great when someone pulls it off well. It seems like you almost have to have just making good good stories be the priority. And then, you know, just kind of naturally allow your point of view on whatever it is you're, you're digging at in terms of themes, just kind of naturally work its way into the story, but that you can't start the other way around. You can't start with, oh, I'm going to make a story to convince people of this political argument and then, you know, craft the story around it. You've got to kind of have a story first. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Yep, definitely. Yeah, also another interesting thing is that here in our case, we are dealing with a, well, a unique situation. I mean, if I would write a novel based on, you know, the idea that I have for this, for the story that I'm writing, I would have, you know, kind of more space for exposition and building world building. But, but because this is a game, there has to be a little more action oriented or something has to be happening. It's more dialogue. But then that actually gives us a, a kind of an advantage there because we have different types of choices. And of course, we're getting better at this because right now this, the, the game is sort of, you know, you might say beta stage where we have the basics there, but there's a lot more that we want to insert there to make these choices more subtle. So you actually, you get to see, you get to experience a story, but you get to experience it depending on what path you choose, you will have a different outcome or perhaps different experience or perhaps learn about some other aspect of whatever we are trying to 
pull you in. You know? So we have to employ different uh, methods, like, for example, flashbacks into the past, you know, and um, yeah, the dream sequences, you know, so, so that there you can sort of go into different places, even historical events, right? You can refer, you can do a little bit of education there, actually, you know. <laughs> Professor CJ, you know, <laughs> giving a lecture. So, so I mean, it's it it. I think in in our case, it, we have this uh, unique tool, this 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 particular uh, method that we have chosen to to deliver those stories. But of course, in general, sto- storytelling kind of it, it is tough because you know you can focus on uh, exposition. Some writers do uh, more, and or you can focus more on characters. Sometimes I read so many, you know, fiction or science fiction books and fantasy books that sometimes I I know immediately what the writer is going to do, and of course you can say that's bad writing. But at the same time, maybe if the characters are interesting and the dialogue is interesting, I don't really care if I know what's going to happen <laughs> because it just pulls me in in a different way. So it is a skill. Good writers are are yeah very different uh, they are very different people and very different styles to employ to deliver there yeah, and you mentioned alex uh, when we talked earlier today that this mike resnick's book santiago uh, like that reminded me uh, of that conversation when you're talking now because he, you mentioned how brilliant some of the characters and some of the points are and all of that. So that's uh, that's something that CJ covered uh, actually over two episodes, yeah. both you know, both with the Dusty yeah. Den founder and yeah, with no, the, I heard them. Mike Resnick. Yeah, I heard them both. Actually, one of the reasons I reread or actually audio booked that Santiago again because I read it like fifteen years ago, long time ago, and I was like, hmm, actually, this I should I should just listen to it. It's not so long, you know. And then I realized how many because we have been discussing. Uh, a lot of the subjects on our own podcast, one of them, of course, we were discussing about the libertarian idea. And, and I think that it's, it's his, I found that I could guess the, what's going to happen quite early, actually. Uh, like he telegraphs it for me, at least. I was like, okay, probably this is what's going to happen with this main hero, Kane. But so what? That discussion between them, between Santiago and him in the end, it's really what sort of reminded me why it's important to, to, to fight, even if you know that perhaps uh, you won't win with the giant, with the government, or with the with the with the general ignorance, or whatever we are discussing here. You know, like kind of, I have a sense we are talking about trying to deliver, wake up, wake people people up, or deliver some kind of message, but packaged without not, not being too crude about it, not too much on the nose, as CJ was saying. You know, so I think that that I mean that's why I think that book is so popular, Santiago, because. That conversation in the end, the sort of the twist that he delivers, which wasn't so much of a twist for me personally. I was like, uh, you know, the first time I read it, I remember I was expecting something similar. But the conversation between that just is so uh, profound, you know, uh, in, in the sense that we're talking about the ideals, why we should push back, you know, why it's, why, uh, and, and why he's not organizing anything like a resistance because he doesn't want to replace power because power only replaces power. And, and that whole discussion was just a fantastic, uh, nice to refresh my memory, especially since I know I, 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 I've heard that episode <laughs> where Mike Resnick was a guest on your show. Anyway, so that was just a little nod to, to those of your listeners who, who remember that episode and, and enjoyed it. Okay. So now I want to segue into talking about some of the specific stories that you guys are working on. So, you know, the the Story Games platform, it's not just one story, it's multiple stories 
and uh, I'm, I'm assuming there'll be more and more as time goes on. But um, just so the, the listeners have an idea of some of of what you guys are are working on currently and what's available currently. So, um, Ole, I guess I'll, I'll start with you. What are you working on in terms of specific stories? All right. So, yeah, I've been working on my stories since uh, three years or probably even longer. And like I said earlier, it I definitely took inspiration from from things that I learned from your show and things like that, CJ. So, and so that's one of the reasons why I actually put you in as a character. You're not one of the main characters that the people will deal with all the time, but your character knows some secrets that are crucial for the main character to find out, to be able to to get to where he needs to go. So anyway, there's uh, as a central point in the whole story, there's something called Operation Olive. And it's a little bit unclear in the beginning what that means, but it's inspired by Operation Popeye. So Popeye and Olive. Um, And this was a weather manipulation operation that was initiated, at least according to Wikipedia, by Henry Kissinger. And was a weather manipulation program dealing with Laos and Vietnam, if I remember correctly, or Cambodia, possibly. So... There has been a weather manipulation program going on which affected the world that the player is encountering. And as a consequence, there is a society with voluntarists living on an island called Gunabe in the Caribbean, which is outside of And that's where your character, CJ, lives, and Davi and John's characters live there as well. They're also characters in the story. And... Uh, CJ's character is a good friend with Lou Fien and James Babb. And yeah, there are others there as well that people would be familiar with, like Luis Fernando Mises or Vermin Supreme or Daniel Berman, um, a bunch of others. So it's actually people trying out a form of voluntarism, voluntarism in real life. And this is set five years into the future. And this came about as a consequence of a sequence of events that I'm not going to go too much into now, but it was started off because of a presidential election where Vermin and Berman, they were running for, or actually walking and crawling for president and vice president. And they look, it looked like they could win because the other parties were hating each other so much. And the people were so fed up with the Republicans and the Democrats that these guys, they ran on a Republic, uh, libertarian ticket. And it looked like they could have a chance because they were very popular comedians and they were focusing on individual rights. And they were so fed up with the social media giants that were censoring everything and collecting so much data. And the same, of course, with the NSA. And so a lot of things like that, that, that kind of inspired all of it. So, but there's a big, this is, this is a big story, which I've been working on since years. And the player will gradually find out what's going on there. So actually, the main characters in the story are a young man called Morris and a young woman called Geraldine. And they're working for a company called Immortal Games, which just happens to be the name of our company as well in real. And they're working for somebody who looks a lot like me. And uh, yeah, they their job is to develop a story-driven game application which is 
going to look into what this operation OLIB was all about, basically, and also try to find out about certain historical topics and stuff like that. Uh, but in the process of doing that, they come across a lot of nefarious stuff, and they realize that uh, there are very influential forces in the U.S., power elites, not necessarily in the government itself, but many people who are, let's say, in the deep state and other powerful positions who very much want to stop these people from exposing certain things that the CJ character is one of the people who actually could uh, provide the information and background for. So there's it's a cat and mouse roller coaster type of a story where there yeah you have a super hacker that's supporting this main character in trying to figure out what's going on and he has or or he or she or it or whatever this super hacker is has a team of kind of boondock saint like meet monty python characters that are basically using some very high technology uh, or advanced technology to fight against the most powerful people around. So it's it's a lot of things going on. And uh, you will, when, if you check it out, you will find out that you're introduced to many characters quite quickly and you're thrown into a basically a universe where there's a lot of things going on. So I hope people will enjoy it because it's a combination of Let's say it has an educational elements to it, but primarily, like you were indicating earlier, CJ, it's like it's meant to entertain. It's meant to be fun and to just make you just what? And then gradually, hopefully, it will lead people to really want to know what happens next. There's a lot more to be said. If some, uh, this is something I want to say about all the stories. Like we had the something called the Immortal Podcast, which we launched just one month ago, which is with Alex, John, and myself, but also with Davi, Davi Barker, who's one of our writers and hosts on the Immortal Podcast. And there we go into depth about each of the stories. So, for example, if you want to know more about Immortalized, which is my story, you, we have a one-and-a-half-hour episode where I explain the general things and some of the specifics in more detail. And we're planning to actually do more of these episodes about each story because there's that much there. And I guess I can just add that in the, this voluntaria society where the CJ character is living, there, there will also be discussions about different solutions for in a voluntary society like how could that come about and what are the challenges internally what are the challenges internationally and yeah okay enough about that but uh, okay that's that's what i got and what about uh mission control are you working on that or is davi working on that or what's what's the deal with that one uh it's davi who's working on it but I guess, like, I've been working closely with him on it, so it's probably natural for me to be the one who talks about it, uh, since he's not here, unfortunately, at the moment. So this is a story where you have a... It's a, it's a series of psychological studies, but the player is not completely sure what's really going on here. It's kind of a, 
uh, an organization. It's it's a part of the U.S. government, but you don't really know exactly what it is. Uh, but you have director roles based on Larkin roles, and you have a psychologist or a doctor who is Jim Cunningham, based on Jim Cunningham, a previous guest on uh, the Dangerous History podcast, and. Uh, also, Amanda Rose is, <laughs> is one of the characters there. Uh, so there are uh, different psychological studies being performed, but the player is not sure. Is this is this now a live uh, exercise or is this now a study? And it start, starts off with Chapter 1, where they're, they're supposed to go after a target as drone operators. They are supposed to go after a target in the U.S. because usually the drone programs where you're not allowed to go after targets in the U.S. But in this case, it is at basically, I, I believe it's the, during Pork Fest that the target is a Christopher Cantwell. It's just some random name. Who uh, The player is then supposed to decide whether they want to, or they, they will kill him with a drone or not in different type of circumstances. And some of them have a little bit of the DDE, the Doctrine of Double Effect, which CJ has covered in uh, his one of his um, Concepts and Theories episodes, where you could, oh, is it okay to kill the target if other people die at the same time? But then you don't intend to kill them. And so the player is confronted with that kind of scenarios. Then in the second chapter, it's mostly preparing them for the third and further chapters. So it's kind of a psychological evaluation. And Dr. Cunningham, Jim Cunningham, is uh, trying to kind of prepare them for the Milgram experiment. Because chapter three is the player actually participating as the teacher in the Milgram experiment, which was the role that the participants believe that they had. So you will decide, are you going to zap the subject or not? And by the way, we have uh, visual and sound effects to in, you know, increase the intensity of the experience in that chapter. So I think that's going to be very interesting for those who are into the Milgram experiment. And then it gradually goes on from there. Like chapter four is another drone scenario where it's a matter of possibly killing people in the, when there's a standoff between the police and the family that just refuses to to accept that they're not allowed to do certain things on their own property in the U.S. And it's all combined where you gradually find out some background of this whole um, organization that is behind it, and you realize it has a connection to Nazi Germany and Adolf Eichmann and things like that. And anyway, I know with Davi, he has just tons of things he wants to to get out in that story. And I find it to be incredibly interesting. And I know just to get back to why he wanted to come up with this in the first place, Davi won the pitch event, I think it was eight years ago at Porkfest for where he talked about the topic, which later on ended up in a, his, I think it was his first book called Authoritarian Sociopathy. And uh, then he wanted, like when I contacted him and talked with him about the possibility of doing something related to the Milgram and Stanford Prison Experiment, etc., 
then he just felt like, yeah, this is the next stage. This is my chance to finally continue to do some of these experiments in a new way. And this also uh, talks to your conversation with Jim Cunningham, CJ, where I remember one of your, this is one of the reasons why I suggested to David we should make this, actually. It's because you told Jim at one point, like, I wish it would be possible somehow that these ethical standards that now are much stricter, like, it's, I wish it would be possible to, to continue and try more varieties and, and try to see, you know, what would happen in different circumstances and maybe with different types of populations and what if other countries, we tested it, you know, with people from other countries. And, and now we've made a game where we could, we can, we can track all of this anonymously. We can track what every player is choosing in every scenario in these studies. And that's what we want to do with that story. It's, it's not going to give an enormous amount of qualitative data because, of course, people can press whatever they want. But quantity has a quality all of its own. So I'm very, very excited about that story, even though it's maybe not the most obviously entertaining story, although I think it has huge potential there as well if one gives it a chance but just as a follow-up to things that we're all interested in like now if we get this out to the mainstream and you know tens of thousands hundreds of thousands millions of people would try it it would be so interesting to see what comes back because we have all these choices that they can make and oh are you gonna kill this person now or not are you going to sap this person now or not are you going to dominate this person now or not so it's all about power and obedience and all kind of things like that yeah definitely very interesting stuff to me and i'm sure to probably all of the people who listen to my show at least well uh john you mentioned a little bit already about your story that you're working on for the game uh, can you tell us a little bit more of of what a potential player could expect? Yeah, so it basically walks people through my book, but with a little bit more choice. And it allowed me to open the story up a little bit and kind of imagine what would have happened if I had made different decisions in my life, even because of the fact that it is a story about my life, which I think so far it's most of the stories on the app are fiction. This is one of the only ones that's relatively based on a true story, although there is a whole lot more fiction in the game than in the book because, of course, I had to plan out these different paths and possibilities that, you know, people could take and, you know, different choices that they can make that could lead them in different directions. In the stories or the chat chapters rather that we have so far, it kind of sets up this whole world of it's of course the world that we live in, but from a different perspective. And it's like the cops aren't the good guys and these laws aren't really here to protect us, but they're in fact harming us and harming society. And I'm, I'm illustrating this by multiple interactions that the player has with the police, starting off with a actually newsworthy event that happened. I guess it was Memorial Day or Labor Day. I always get them too confused. Labor Day is in September or something, right? Yeah, whichever I think so. one's yeah, whichever one's in September. Um, 
it was in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, at this place called McCormick Island. There was this outlaw rave that was going on where people took boats across. And that was one of the first events where I really got plugged into everything. Well, some local tried swimming across after the boat stopped and ended up drowning. And there was this whole ordeal with the island getting raided. And I luckily uh, made my way off of it uh, by paying some fishermen to get me across in the last couple hours of the siege. Yeah, that was a, a rather newsworthy event for the area. And of course, that event, after going on for seven years with no problems, never happened again. And it's kind of legendary for this area. But the story starts off there. And then through the chaos of that, uh, my character becomes hooked up with some of the people that organize the events because I kind of went into a little bit of a, I, I don't know what, what kind of uh, mode that I went into, but I, I, even though I was a regular party goer and I hadn't had that much experience in the scene, as soon as things really started to hit the fan, I just went into this defense mode and started helping all the organizers kind of get people into the safe area before the cops came down and because I, I had witnessed them coming across before anybody else, just coincidentally. So that in the long run, after that weekend was over and after some of us escaped and got out of jail or whatever, I became more plugged in with the scene be from a behind the scenes perspective. And when I was offered an opportunity to do an event at a bar that I was working the door at after my day job, I kind of already had all of these resources and connections through that I was developing through the people that I met there. And, but yeah, so, so that is kind of the chapters of the story that's available right now. And the ones that are to come show my progression through that place called God's basement that I mentioned and then another venue that I kind of built from the ground up called the Black Hole in Baltimore, which ended up kind of going down in another newsworthy <laughs> event, I guess you could say, with the owner of the place getting arrested and raided and then, I guess, telling on all the people that worked for him so he could get out of jail. But that that was another story that kind of was real big in Baltimore at the time that I was deeply involved in. So that was one of the reasons why I ended up writing the book to begin with, because I just thought that those were really interesting stories to tell. And when I, when I wrote it, I was actually in the middle of cancer treatment. So it was one of those things where I, I kind of wanted the story to be told just in case I didn't make it, but luckily I did. And now I could play it out in all these different formats. Yeah, very cool. And just for any listeners who might be interested, you want to go ahead and, and let us know, what is your book? And of course, I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, I did a very bad job at plugging it, but uh, it's called a Paper Squares and Purple Stars, My Life as a Rave Outlaw. And the website for that is raveoutlaw.com. Yeah, very cool. And again, I'll, I'll make sure to include that in the, in the show notes as well. So uh, yeah, may, 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 may I just uh, uh, have a short, short interception? Sorry, sure, go ahead. Uh, 
yeah, so I just want to say that one of the reasons why I wanted to have this story you know, as a part of the game is because I actually was a participant in the rave scene in Oslo in Norway in the 90s. So that's like a bit more than a decade before the story happened. And when I read, I just read the first chapter and I could just sense that, oh, this, like, it, of course, it's a different world than the one that I lived in. But at the same time, it's so similar because I could recognize so many different elements of the feeling of being in the situation that John was in. I'm not going to explain all my own, my, 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 my own past there. But, uh, but yeah, it's the whole story gives, because I read the book, of course, as well. And it gives a perspective of what it feels like to be somebody who, who's actually really trying to find out what's going on in life, you know, and who's, who's actually quite a strong character and honest and just really honestly trying to research and make the best out of their situation. But they're, they're just because they want to to test some drugs, especially just like hallucinogenics or something like that, which in many cultures throughout history, they have been considered to be something that you use to explore yourself. And then, but just because that, like of the war of drugs, then you have to be totally paranoid and you, you're suddenly somebody who could be just strip search at any moment, which I was many times. I, I took a lot of hallucinogenics at my, in my late teens and early 20s. And just, I, I can recognize so much of it where at the same time, like John, I'm like, well, I'm going to do it anyway. I want to explore this. I want to find out more about myself. I want to find out more about life. And I know that I grew stronger in total from it, just as John did. And I feel like it's a story where he shows the good and the bad of that culture, but not the least the authoritarian, like the, the terrible, you know, fact that uh, people like the police, of course, and the government just try, they have a war against such people who are in that kind of situation, which I just felt like, no, okay, such a story needs to be a part of our game. Oh, not the least because John is a brilliant writer and journalist. And so in addition, is able to actually put down on paper something that most who go through this, they could never be able to write it in such a good way as him. So I just wanted to add that. Yeah, and it definitely, you know, sounds like a, a pretty dramatic story at a bunch of points, too. I mean, when you're paying fishermen to get you off an island to try to escape from the cops or whatever like that, I mean... You know, that's that's the kind of thing that you could definitely see uh, being a scene in a movie or something like that. Hopefully an indie movie, because if the big studios got a hold of this of this story ever, who knows how terribly <laughs> yeah, what, they'd ruin it. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, I really hope this could be on a screen someday. That, that would be really awesome. And I, I will say that Ole did get uh, a chance to see for himself at my I had a book release party at a warehouse part uh, at a warehouse last year. And it was a smaller event than the ones I used to do because that's not really what I'm known for anymore. And I, I was a little bit out of the loop, but we had a, a nice, uh, nice little gathering and Olay got a taste of uh, <laughs> what he read about in the book. Yeah, no, that was actually such a perfect fit. And I, I also told you, like, because this was, I went straight from the Michigan Peace and Liberty Festival with John 
And then a few days later, yeah, he hosted the release party for his book, and I could meet up with a bunch of the people who really appreciate that he's back and actually doing hosting raves again. And I could I could really feel why uh, he was appreciated so much and why he felt that this was so important to him and why he's actually started doing it again. So that's all very cool. So Alex, um, that leaves you. What what are you working on in terms of stories? Well, um, uh, first of all, I think um, it's worth explaining something uh, a little bit um, technical here because we keep mentioning uh, real people who are characters in our story stories. And I just wanted to kind of, before I answer your question, to mention what, you know why this is important because we, our stories are visual, right? So we, you know, our graphic designers, they, they have to, it's easier to base themselves on real people. And, and of course, we cannot generally use very famous people like actors and like this because, you know, they will probably get into legal troubles. So we pick from our friends or people we have met. Um, and that, and of course, often those characters are just the faces that we use. So, for example, like, you know, we already mentioned several that, that are packed into immortalized. But in my story, I actually have my ex-wife and my current wife. <laughs> <laughs> he was part of the story, so yes, <laughs> it's a little, and my son there as well. So, so and my daughter will be there. So it just helps, you know. It helps to visualize the character. Of course, obviously, if I was writing a novel, I wouldn't do that. Anyway, I just wanted to mention that. And another thing is that it sort of like segues nicely into my story, which is a sci-fi story. Is that all of our stories have timelines? Timelines in the game, you get. You get to go a little bit and, and you, you read about how the story came about, uh, you know, and th- this is very important part of the, this format because it's an exposition. It gives you a little bit of world building. And it's especially important, I feel, in my story, which is a sci-fi story. I just want to mention again, why sci-fi? Well, actually, here is another reference to one of the great episodes with the great late uh, Mike Resnick, uh, who actually passed away this year. And uh, he, when, when you asked him why he chose this genre, he had such a great answer, you know, that sci-fi activates imagination like nothing else. And I really am a firm believer of that. You know, Star Wars made a big impact on me, Matrix movies, and so on and so forth. But uh, when it comes to my without uh, going into too much spoilers, it's just one chapter because I haven't had the time to actually... Sorry, sorry to interrupt, uh, Alex. I'm, I'm having your, your audio is, is breaking up bad all of a sudden. Breaking up? Okay. All right. Yeah, can you maybe try and um, exit and then rejoin the meeting okay, and, then, so... and then jump back into sort of the, the premise of your story? Okay, from let's do that. So go ahead and, um, since Davi's not here, tell us a little bit about the Ghost of Blanaby story that he is working on. Okay, so Ghost of Blanaby, I know it's based on something that Davi has been working on since years. He's been building up the Blanaby universe to be something where he has different settings for Blanaby set like in different states in the US, etc. But to cut a short story long, then uh, the, this version of it is somewhere in California between LA and San Diego, I believe. And it's such a small town that it kind of has just gone off the radar. And it's it's an area where Sarah Winchester's house, which is actually not in California at all, I believe. But um, anyway, uh, it's a tourist attraction, which is uh, is real in real life. 
so you can go and visit it. Uh, allegedly, when Sarah Winchester inherited the Winchester Empire, she believed that, or at least she feared that basically all the people who had been killed with Winchester weapons, uh, which were prim primarily rifles, that they had ended up as ghosts who lived in her mansion. Uh, so what she did then was to build a bunch of traps in the house to try to uh, yeah, try to stop them. And like she obviously had some giant guilt trip on behalf of her family. And this is something that has been developed into several feature films. Uh, so there are movies about this myth. And they're, like I said, it's a tourist attraction and all that. So, so Davi has placed this into his Blanaby story as a central point. And to try to nail the essence of it, it's basically four people who are very different. Two of them are kind of what you could call spiritually connected. One of them is a Native American, and the other one is basically somebody who used to be a doctor, but who has ended up more like a healer. And they both have kind of a natural connection to the morphic realm and the supernatural. And then the two other ones have connections. Like one of them, he uses a cochlear implant, which Davi explained it. And I'm not sure if I could <laughs> replicate what he said. CJ, do you know what a cochlear implant is? It's some some sort of an implant in your ear, right? Yeah, yeah it's, it's some... for deaf people. I right, right. Yeah, something that you can connect with your inner ear so that you can actually hear even though you have lost all or most of your hearing as far as I understand it. And so this character who has the cochlear implant, he can also hear ghosts or let's say people in the morphic realm to be a little bit less like or to be a little bit more subtle about it. So you can hear them talking. And then you have one female who has been developing scientific equipment so that she can actually be able to communicate with the morphic realm as well. So that's kind of the essence of it, like that it's they all four can communicate with beings in a realm that's kind of not something that's available to most people. But in this story, at least in the story universe, they are there. So there are people who are or they're individuals, let's just say, who don't have physical bodies, but who actually can be communicated with. And anyway, so, I mean, the whole town of Blanaby has a lot of interesting elements in itself. So because it doesn't really have a police department, it doesn't really have a proper government. So there are many things there that one will, will realize that, uh, okay, these people are living in a different way. Uh, but I, I'm not going to go too much into that because we would yeah. need Davi to, to cover it, it properly. It, it um, has a historical aspect to it, that story, because he, because as I was quite surprised, the Winchester weapons were used all over the world. So we will have, in, that's, that's one of the kind of maybe interesting aspects for your listeners, because there's going to be some history here, definitely. Yeah. We, and you will end up with ghosts that don't speak each other's languages because, you know, they're from Korea or Indonesia and, and you know, yeah, from different parts of the U.S. and like this. So kind of interesting concept, actually. Yes, no, definitely. 
that's that's where basically where I was coming to now. So basically, what Davi is doing is he will bring the character who is a morphic entity who can basically possess the different main characters. And it's a very interesting way that he has chosen to to let the player kind of make different choices that could affect how the person that he's possessing will affect it. And but he can possess this different these four different investigators. And anyway, so I, I I mean this is an amazing story actually. But in addition, like Alex is, is indicating, you will come across different people in the morphic realms because uh, the player themselves, they are, uh, or that person is the morphic entity. So they will be able to communicate with Sarah Winchester, for example, who still has a guilt trip, who still tries to kind of, uh, she tries to make sure that all the morphic, the people in the morphic realm, that they are freed so that she can finally also get freed. And this is one of the choices that the player will gradually get. And this connects to a business that is owned by a character called Axel Tower, where he is considered to be, is a little bit like Elon Musk type, and is using a lot of environmental friendly energy and this and that. And he wants to use this ghosts or entities from the morphic realm to boost like for electricity and you know like very cheap electricity like you torture the ghosts and that creates a certain type of energy that can be harnessed and uh, the player can choose in each case with different types of historical ghosts so we will go into historical situations for example colonel custer at a little big after a little big horn uh, battle you know okay what do you think? Should he be tortured or should he be let go? Like these are choices that the player will be given. Plot spoiler, sorry. Um, but anyway, there will be many of those. Yeah, so that's it's, it's Darby. He's an incredibly creative guy. And I think that's one of the reasons why CJ, who was, you know, you were the one who suggested him as a writer for us in the pl- first place. And like very spot on and... Yeah, many things like I know that Davi will probably feel like, yeah, okay, I wish I would be there to represent my own story, but uh, but that's that's just to try to summarize it. Yeah, my recommendation was based on I had heard him a number of times uh, back on the old Freedom Fiend show, and um, I had heard him on there speaking about his uh, what are they Survivor Max? Yes, uh, uh, zombie zombie novels for kids, <laughs> and, I, and I just. Yeah. You know, I, I was like, yeah, that, that's definitely, definitely, uh, somebody who's, you know, kind of in our, in our, our camp philosophically, who's, who's very creative for sure. Oh, so yeah, def- definitely. No, that's where I had been listening to him on the Freedom Fiends for a long time as well. So that was just immediately I, I picked up on it. And, uh, and despite the fact that it took a little bit of time before he joined us as much as he has, like he has actually helped us to expand our own vision because he keeps on pushing the limits of what we think we can possibly do. So that's one of the things that Alex has to struggle with. But okay, should we should we try again regarding Beyond Limits? Yeah, yeah. Alex, now that you are back with us, um, if, if you wouldn't mind picking up yeah. uh, the basic yeah, premise what, of your story. Yeah, so anyway, let's let's say it like this, that uh, uh, 
There is a TV show, actually, a very good TV show that uh, kind of gives a good idea of what, I mean, to those of you who are sci-fi, sci-fi fans, it's called Firefly. So there's a bunch of people on the ship that are not necessarily like even the best of friends, but they're kind of thrown into, into a situation and they have, they sort of have to save, yeah, they end up saving the galaxy and, and there is some supernatural uh, characters there as well. So uh, that, that, that's, that's how the story starts. Mm, so kind of 400 years into the future and basically they get dragged into a situation uh, and they're like um, scavengers, miners. And you might say <laughs> that part, that group, they belong to a group of humans that live in a solar system uh, on the moon uh, of Jupiter, Callisto. They have a base there that is sort of the only free remaining, uh, free, free remaining base, free remaining human settlement in the solar system. But more interesting, perhaps without going to too much spoilers, because as I mentioned, um, I don't know that, that I just want to should stress that again. This is just one chapter. I hadn't had the time to, to develop story further. I only have an idea where I'm going with it, but I was just too busy with other stories. So. The timeline is very important here. The timeline that feature in the game where you can find out what, what has happened. Because basically, I, I start off my, when I prepared for this story, I had to do a lot of research, actually, like technologies, what's feasible, what's not, you know. So at least initially in this story, I'm trying to keep to something that could be theoretically possible. So I had to research the whole solar system quite extensively and found out that there's not many places you can live actually here but yeah you could find some different solutions uh, for it so of course mars and like for example in my story mars has already been terraformed you know which which is a theoretical possibility and like that but how the story starts it's maybe more interesting for for the listener right now is that you know it it all begins when sort of u.s and china are sort of at um in a tension between each other, which is kind of happening right now, actually. So, so uh, that idea for a story was, uh, you know, a couple of years ago, and 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 here we are. So it it feels a little uh, surreal, actually, that we are in the situation, and it's a, and actually it's a race towards AI. And you know, both sides they want to develop a, a sort of machines, drones, you know, uh, but machines that are a little more automated. So I found a theoretical article talking about something called LOWS, Little Automated Weapon Systems. Uh, so basically, there's a huge, great, great war that, that is the most devastating war in our human history. And uh, it gradually becomes a conflict that is basically just computer versus computer, AI versus AI. They are not artificial intelligence of that caliber yet, that it's a completely independent entity but they are automated to a large extent, you know, so like, uh, uh, you know, the, the, those AIs, they can shut down production of the, of their opposite, uh, you know, number and, and I mean, op- opposite force or, you know, explode batteries in their phones and things like that anyway. So this is all in the background. This is something that the player will find out a little bit gradually as I sort of have those flashbacks into the past. What happens at some point is that a true AI is born uh, that puts a stop to all of it. So kind of, you might say, that, that at least first incarnation of artificial intelligence, true artificial intelligence in my story is a benevolent one, which sort of deactivates all those toys and says, okay, you're just going to behave now. 
And for a while, it actually works. The humans are kind of cooperating, rebuilding, and, and so on and so forth. But then suddenly something changes, means that uh, as if this AI was corrupted or something, you know, that, that's also part of the later chapters in the story. And we'll be discovering a little bit of that. But basically, it, it, it suddenly figures out, well, you know, humans are no longer welcome. I'm not, I still cannot kill them because that's sort of in my programming is to protect the humans, but uh, they, they no longer can live on, on planet Earth. So basically, we get no choice. We get like 100 years to prepare and we have to just leave. So of course, uh, you know, what happens later when we arrive at the beginning of my story is that you might say there are already some settled areas, you know, mostly it's Mars. Mars and a very, very totalitarian society that basically isn't, there is no government there. It's just a board of directors and CEO, and, uh, and, and, and it's just that whole society, the Martian authority system, as I call them, they are basically a kind of totalitarian but, but corporate structure. And they create a kind of slavery system, kind of like a, you might say, class system that is something, maybe, maybe something similar that I've seen in India when I lived there. You know, so, so there people are sort of genetically spliced to perform different tasks. And they are, of course, on the, and they, so depending on where you are in that ladder, you know, there's only just the elites that, that have, that benefit from, from all the resources and control of the resources and so on and so forth. And there's, uh, <laughs> and there's another group. I call them Elonites because of the, because they are kind of, they're a part of a company called Musk Incorporated. And that the reason for that is because the whole idea for this concept actually came about when I heard that episode when Elon Musk came to Joe Rogan and they were talking for the first time. So actually, I thought, oh, he's into artificial intelligence. So let me make him the inventor of that <laughs> original AI. And, and then so they kind of formed their own faction and live around the moons of Saturn because those moons are actually, it's a very cold area of space, but the moon, those moons are sort of ice moons in a lot of cases. So they are reflective and difficult to, they, they kind of hide out there in the tunnels and they have kind of built their own little group. And then, of course, we have what I already mentioned as a kind of uh, faction, or it's pirates, renegades, libertarians, you might say, I, just to give a nod to Ole's story and how he inspired me, that, that, that location is also called Gonave Landing. So it's like a place where they, they're left alone, mostly. And that is because at some point there's another war, and that one is actually between the AI, because humans are constantly trying to deactivate this, this you might say, evil, sinister AI that has kind of kicked them out. And um, of course, they don't succeed, but there is a, there is a struggle between them in space. And, and, and as a result of that, there is a, because they're in, in, around Jupiter, between Jupiter and Mars, actually, there's a kind of field of ast asteroids called um, Trojans. And uh, it, it's actually, of course, they're not static. They spin around constantly, but it's a very large field of asteroids between around Jupiter area. And uh, within that, field there is a large debris field full of broken machines broken war machines and most of them are of course uh, you know kind of destroyed and completely but there's a lot of valuable material there but somehow nobody can access it, uh, access this area because in that area lives a kind of a, a swarm of rogue drones sort of space drones machines basically that don't seem to belong to anyone nobody controls them they are like they have their own mind and they just simply attack and destroy anything that comes there as if they are 
you know, just crazy, uh, crazy gone. Some, some, some part of this artificial intelligence or this AI just lost control of it, that whole bunch. And they're just, yeah. So, so th- those people living on Jupiter, on, on Callisto moon, they figured out a way to mine this region, you know, to be, to silently sneak around there using mug sales, sales and basically be uh, kind of go in and salvage whatever they can mine a little bit. And then of course, that's how they trade with the Martian authority, which sort of leaves them alone. You know, it's like a kind of truce. They just, you know, they, they cannot really access that area, but, but it, it's just, they leave them in peace. So anyway, that's the premise. There's a lot of aspects to this story. It's a huge, huge universe. You know, like there is a whole, there's part of the background is, for example, uh, uh, one moment when uh, all the religions unite and decide to build an ark and the, they actually get help from the artificial intelligence from this AI called, actually calls himself Atos. And uh, that is also the, then that name will be revealed. The meaning of this name will be revealed in the story as well. And they decide to leave the solar system altogether. And they do that. So that's going to be for future chapters or future episodes, or you might say another season of this. Or you might say, if I wrote a book, that would be. And the second part, you know, of the story when, when we end up in completely different parts of galaxy. And then I will explore maybe kind of more religious con- con- concepts and what happened to, to those people that left a long time ago and how long did they, did, did it take them to get there? And because it's like a generational ship. Uh, so there's a lot of small details like that. And, and obviously, and to kind of wrap it up, you know, the, the concept of the AI is very interesting here because it plays a role uh, for me of that kind of a being that, you know, is our judge in some way that we are powerless against and represents, you might say, almost like a God archetype, you know, so that will be explored a little bit, that relationship. And uh, you might say, uh, talking about Mike Resnick's book, Santiago, you have a cyborg ship there. So I have something similar also in our story. In fact, uh, you might say that this ship that we find ourselves on from the very beginning that our heroes called Bella is kind of a character in a, in a story as well. But of course, I, I don't want to say any more about this at this point. The only thing I would just say it's, you know, Santiago and, and, and reading this book recently again, and that whole concept of why we have to struggle against oppression, not necessarily because we want to win or overthrow it or to replace it, but simply because uh, we, we don't have to win. We just don't have, we don't want to lose either. Uh, and that's a very important kind of ideal, I think, for the whole libertarian movement in general of, of why it is important to, to, to struggle against certain we struggle against oppression and, and educate ourselves and be free thinkers in general. And, uh, yeah, like this. So that, that you might say the, the closing of that book of the, of Santiago is, is very much something that I want to explore in, 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 in this story. Yeah. It's definitely a powerful theme that resonates with me. And I'm sure with a lot of people, the whole theme of, you know, taking a stand and resisting and pushing back, even if you're pretty sure you've got no hope of, of full-blown success, it's still a matter of it's, I don't know, it's the right thing to do and to fight. To yeah, fight I mean, fight. yeah, to fight a good fight. And also another important part, you see, the reason perhaps that in my story, just as in Santiago, if you're, I don't know how I remember it when you read it last time or how many times, but 
uh, I just refresh my mind. So I, it's it, you, the reason that this mass authority, those this this kind of like in Santiago's where you have the democracy, doesn't go after this little renegade group because they're not really that well organized. They're actually fractional. They, 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 they are many different groups, pirates, and they sort of live together. And so they don't paint a target on themselves that way. And this is what, what you know, Santiago explains also. Like, you know, I, I mean, if they really knew what I'm doing, they would have sent millions of soldiers and eradicated us immediately. And that's the kind of, you fight a good fight, but you don't necessarily have to create an organization of a movement, you know, to, to fight this kind of fight. Sure, absolutely. Well, um, just to sort of, of wrap things up here, I wanted to throw out for each of you to comment on however, however you like that sort of what's, how is it going forward with this project? Obviously, as you all have mentioned, it's still kind of the beta version and, you know, there's, there's obviously tons, tons more development to do and things like that, aside from just, you know, making more stories and continuing the stories that have already started and all that. But what's, what are some of the big things that you see going forward from here with the project? Yeah, well, we are in talks with different uh, potential publishers as uh, potential partners that either could, let's say, invest into our company or uh, help us to get the game published either through them or others. And like we are, we are open for many different scenarios in that regard. But in addition, we're also talking with different potential investors because we're learning a lot through trial and error when it comes to marketing this ourselves. It's the first game application that we're trying to publish. And Alex uh, and myself, with Alex taking the lead in that department, we're, we're learning many things by just trying to boost different ad, you know, advertisements here and there and trying to see if like, okay, what leads to more downloads of the game? What, and we have the, this podcast, Immortal Podcast, like what leads to more downloads there and uh, what actually leads to just reactions from people who see an advertisement and anyway but unfortunately we ended up like many others being uh, getting into a tough situation because the whole corona virus uh, world market collapse was uh, yeah it came more or less exactly at the time when we were talking with both publishers and investors of kind of a bigger nature because we've been building this project which started really like seriously a little bit more than three years ago and gradually expanded the team and we, we've learned so much through this period and we built up such an awesome team and not the least of our Indonesian programmers and graphic designers and we have like a big pool more that we could even add to the team and we like uh, we built up so much know-how among that team, and in addition, we have uh, several, let's say, European directors and managers. And in addition, we have like Davi and John as uh, writers from the US, and we have one writer from Australia as well, who has been is writing a story called Promoter in Paradise, which is also something that he's trying to get out as a TV series where he has made a pilot for it. So we, we are, let's say we're in contact with some publishers, but we, we got a setback, but we're, we're getting back into the game now because like the, when the markets collapsed, 
it was very difficult to get anybody to look at anything. Uh, that's, I think, many new projects have experienced the same thing. Like, so even if we are in a digital space, we we kind of got caught by that. But at the same time, you know, people are sitting at home, and many people will sit at home. So digital kind of a concept, which will which doesn't depend on a team meeting up together all the time. For example, like one of my friends I met earlier today, who's a movie producer, he said, like, I can't imagine us gathering a team of 50 people doing movie shooting anytime soon. But in our case, we don't depend on that. So a project like ours, when we manage to hit the right nerve and we reach our target audience, then, you know, this, this could become very successful. We are among the companies that could be great um, to invest in going going forward. So many investors see that. And by the way, if there happen, would happen to be any potentially interested investors, we're also looking for more investors at this time. We have an Indiegogo campaign in case of people wanting to get some cool perks or we could draw their character, for example, and things like that. Uh, just to, to mention that as well. But anyway, uh, our, the reception of the game, just to address that, we've, we've got very, very good reviews in the, you know, both App Store and Play Store. We, got, uh, we have a solid star rating. So the general feedback has been good, but uh, we are kind of invisible because we don't have much money to spend on marketing. So what we've been doing the most is to try to, to see how many people would react positively to advertisements and posts that we make. And it's amazing how many positive responses we get there. So that's something that Alex has been working on. So for example, we did one post where it was boosted with just $15, but we have a very cool uh, image representing the Ghost of Blandaby story. $15, $15, that's all. And we got 18,000 reactions within 24 hours. And now we've boosted a Facebook post. Uh, just $10 so far has been used, and we got 6,000, close to 6,000 reactions on Facebook. And that's an advertisement where CJ is, uh, is uh, his character is part of it. So anyway, yeah, we, we feel like this is... But that was calculated on my part. <laughs> yes, yes, of course. And, and we... I, want, I wanted CJ to have the most likes. <laughs> sure. No, but you, you've done a fantastic job in this process. I just want to say, Alex. But anyway, so uh, to get it back to this, we're in talks with a few different international game publishers. And I have an old friend who is the CEO of a Californian game publishing company, his company was also struck heavily by the whole corona situation. So we're getting back into talks now after a bit of a break, but he's definitely interested in, in being a part and helping. Um, and then we're talking with an old friend of Alex who is happens to be working with an international game app company. And he's working with game apps and uh, basically to try to see what can be done here. And I believe that we could yeah, connect in some kind of partnership with an international publisher and through that get to the next level where we can actually, because that again, like you mentioned, CJ, like this is an early stage. This is a beta. This doesn't represent fully 
what the best we can do. Like we are planning to improve some of our stories because we're still learning when it comes to story writing for this particular format. We have several different features that we want to apply that can really increase the, you know, the potential of the game and the enjoyment and the feeling of making a difference as a player and that kind of stuff. And also more typically what you could call game features as whoever has heard about hidden object scenes or games like criminal case, which was Facebook game of the year in 2013, which I've been playing with my son since seven years now. And also we have the quizzes that we want to apply and we've come far on this, by the way. This is not just some theory. We, we're pretty close to be able to do it. We just need a bigger budget. Uh, but so we have a, a quiz called the History Challenge, where one of the hosts of the quiz is CJ. And with a lot of questions coming from the Dangerous History podcast. Yeah, so such things as well. So anyway, we yeah, this is this is the early version. This is the raw version, but it's already i think if people would give it a shot they would see that there's a lot of you know interesting content there we this is this is the beginning we plan to do this for many years and i think uh, we have potential for adding a bunch more stories as you say as well cj so yeah i mean just to if i can add to that only short because you covered everything i would say that very important for me from the technical side is being able to deliver more and more complex choices, choices to, because, you know, there are many games out there today, but this is definitely a different kind of game because it is a game that is supposed to make you think. It's a bit like reading a book before you go to bed. You can, you can really lie down with this game and, and just sort of, especially once we have more content, but also make the choices a little more complex and nuanced and, and, and kind of stimulate the, you know, the, the player to, to, <laughs> to for like critical thinking and this is like that that's why i mentioned that i quoted this review that we have gotten because that review proves that there are people out there that got it exactly what we are doing here so uh, that's one thing and then just a little mention you know about uh, because it's been tough i mean it's been tough it's always tough to be an indie company and we've done a very good job and we're very satisfied and, and very enthusiastically going forward and our podcast has just uh, made us even more enthusiastic because we get to you know, talk about the stuff we love to talk about. And uh, yeah, but uh, it was a, a tough moment when we just started, like, for example, our, you know, Ola disappeared mysteriously from Facebook and still didn't return, you know, so he didn't, he couldn't contact most of his friends and, and, and business, old business partners like this. So, and he still dis- disappeared from Facebook, you know, so, but we have been quite very, cre- very creative and that's the advantage of being a small indie company. And, but of course, COVID has been difficult because many people think, okay, digital, digital space means, uh, yeah, it's sort of safe, right? But, you know, because we are not a service industry, but we were at the stage where we didn't even, we, we didn't like publish the game properly. And then this happened. And of course, naturally, many investors and many people that were supporting us, and they're just fantastic, uh, supporting us very, very nicely and, and like with great faith, you know, they get into financial troubles themselves, right? Because they have maybe different ventures and, you know, the economy is such, it's such a connected thing, you know. And of course, now, uh, even with sort of stock markets bouncing back again, being artificially propped up at this six trillion dollar uh, you know uh, it's just everything is scary right now like for for many people so i think that's why we decided to do an indiegogo campaign so if you 
if somebody wants to, you know, we don't sell any any uh, in-game items because there we are sort of, no, we're not allowed that that will be a breach of contract with Apple and Google Play because we are on both of those platforms. But we can like draw your avatar or give you some unique uh, sort of personalized in-game uh, uh, screenshots and items, sort of like digital items, of course. And like uh, there is even an option there, I think one of the more expensive options. But, you know, we, we, since we're already doing it, we are actually, we have real people in the game. So you can get immortalized in that way. And uh, you can purchase a character, you know, actually, and be one of the characters and choose which faction you belong to. And so we, we, we've actually been uh, playing around with such ideas, you know, to kind of bring people in and develop the story kind of together with our... And that's the idea of the choices and, and, you know, and kind of, and we want to engage our players in the future. So the stories are sort of an, they grow organically a little bit as a result of, of the interaction with our fan base. So it isn't just like some idea that we have, okay, we're going to start here and end here. Not the beauty of this project is that we don't know exactly where we're going. We just have the general concept and, and, and passion and, and we are just, sort of set the you know we, it's like a sailing and uh, trying to discover new land and i think that there's definitely uh, that aspect here of of sailing into the unknown a little bit that's very exciting yeah that's very nicely said one thing which we're calling or which we're describing ourselves a few places like a netflix platform for digital novels or choose your own adventure novels and yeah, one of the features that we actually also have programmed quite, to quite an advanced level is the possibility of the players voting for different future things to occur in stories. So, And we have some pretty interesting ideas for what we could offer the players to decide on. And, you know, if you you get, let's say you get one free vote per day and then... If you want to spend some money, you can vote harder or vote hardest. And anyway, that's just some internal jokes for certain people, I think, and CJ's audience. But uh, but ultimately, that's that's it's just a little little extra feature that we want to introduce. But yeah, I mean, what we are trying to do here, I think we're the first in the whole space that we're dealing with, where we're trying to actually bring stories with libertarian voluntarist ideas with focus on you know trying to learn a lot about many different concepts and theories and history and try to bring it in a fair and fun and entertaining way to audiences that one doesn't reach so easily otherwise and so if anybody's ready to support us or if they're interested in investing in us, then that's awesome. If you feel like our podcast, the Immortal Podcast, could be interesting to listen to, then that's also cool. And ultimately, I'm just very happy that I'm finally actually a guest on CJ's podcast because like, I've, I've been listening to tons of podcasts and I've been learning from so many sources in my life. But I don't think I can quote a single source where I feel like I learned more specific, uh, yeah, let's say topics and different, like details. But in addition, from somebody who I can appreciate so much as a person, and I feel 
like uh, respect a lot. So I'm very happy that we get invited <laughs> so, here. So CJ hears you. How, you. how do you feel as a godfather of this <laughs> project? It sounds like we're really drawing a lot from you. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm I'm very flattered, and it's it's certainly um, just you know seeing a character based on me in a video game is is uh, surreal enough. I'm sure you're all having a similar experience with uh, your characters and your stories and whatever. But well, before we we wrap up, I uh, just wanted to, to throw it over to John. Did you have anything else you wanted to to add or throw in before we finish up? Uh, I would just say that even though. It is just in beta. We do have a whole lot of content for all the different stories and probably even uh, at least an hour of playtime for each story at this point, if not give or take, you know. And the elements that'll be coming in the future are kind of more puzzle-skilled gameplay. You have to uh, think and look a little bit, as he was saying, with the hidden object scenes and stuff like that. Right now, the backbone that we have is the choose-your-own-adventure portion of it, and there is a whole lot you can get into there in all the different stories. So, yeah, even even though it's still a work in progress, it is definitely worth checking out. Yeah, very, very good to point that out, maybe more than we did. So, yeah, absolutely. Cool. Well, I want to go ahead and uh, urge all the listeners to go and and have a look and check it out and see what you think. I think it's definitely very cool and very interesting. And um just want to say thank you to uh, to all three of you for taking the time and coming on the podcast today. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you. It's an honor. Thank you very much for inviting us. Absolutely. I hope you've enjoyed listening to the Dangerous History podcast and I hope that you found some value in it. If you have and you'd like to contribute to my work, there are many different ways that you can help out. One that costs you nothing but maybe a little bit of time and effort is to help spread the word about the show to anyone you think might be interested in it. There are also a bunch of ways that you can financially assist me to continue doing the work that I do and to continue making it better as best I can as time goes on. The most helpful way and the one that gives you potentially a lot of value back in return is to sign up for a recurring contribution via either Patreon or Subscribestar, and the links to my Patreon page and my Subscribestar page will be in the show notes of this episode. I now have multiple levels of support via either Patreon or Subscribestar. For $2 per month, you are at the Apprentice Scholar Warrior level, and you will get access to all of the vintage DHP episodes, meaning the first 52 episodes of the show, which are no longer available to the general public. And of course, you'll get the satisfaction of knowing that you're helping to keep this podcast going, and you'll have my gratitude for doing so. For only $5 per month, you will be at the Journeyman Scholar Warrior level. And for this, you'll receive the benefits of the $2 Apprentice Scholar Warrior level, plus access to special bonus DHP episodes that are available nowhere else as well as access to ad-free regular DHP episodes as they come out, and you will be eligible to join the Dangerous History Podcast Scholar Warriors private Facebook group. For $15 per month, you will be at the Scholar Warrior level, and you'll get all the benefits of the Journeyman level, plus access to Dangerous History Lyceum course lectures as they are produced and released. And for $25 per month, you'll be at the Master Scholar Warrior level, 
where you will get all the benefits of the $15 Scholar Warrior level, plus additional benefits still to be determined, but probably including but not limited to a regular live chat. You can also make one-time or recurring contributions to the Dangerous History Podcast via PayPal or Bitcoin. And another great way you can help out my work is by clicking on any of the Amazon affiliate links on my website to do your Amazon.com shopping. And if you buy stuff after going through any of those affiliate links, I get a little commission at no additional cost to you. And this helps me to buy supplies, research materials, etc. to keep making the podcast and making the podcast better. I also have an Amazon wish list of things to help me out with the Dangerous History podcast and related productions that I put in the show notes of episodes. It's mostly research materials, but also there's some stuff in there, hardware for audiovisual production, etc. So if you want to order me something off there, that also helps out. Your support and contributions are what keeps this thing going and keeps me doing the work that I do. So I hope that you will consider helping out. This has been another episode of the Dangerous History Podcast. As always, doing my best to help you learn the past, understand the present, and prepare for the future. 